Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is David Summers and we're hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, let's step back into the ring. Let's step back into time. We get wall to wall, treetop tall. With the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, hanging out of the beautiful Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, stud, it looks to me like a pretty decent-looking spring day so far. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, we got a little rain here today, but that's going to bring those flowers, man. <laughs> so uh, don't mind that a bit. And uh, and uh, the other night, uh, we were down there again, 33 degrees. But uh, I think that's going to be the end of that, too. So <laughs> I'm just so looking forward to spring uh, really busting out here. And uh, already a lot of leaves on the trees. And, and uh, the mountains are looking beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. All right, listen, as we get started today, I got to admit, I've been waiting for this episode for quite a while. The title really, uh, to me, says it all. Andre, the first, uh, it's called First Andre versus Hulk match ever. First Andre versus Hulk match ever. That's the title of Studcast number 296. I know there's going to be a lot of listeners out there that are going to say, wait a second, that wasn't the first time that, that those two wrestled each other? The main event in WrestleMania 3 in Detroit, Michigan. We, of course, we haven't forgotten that neither. Yeah, well, you're probably right about that, Dave. You know, uh, but this studcast is going to reveal, man, the true history of the first ever Andre and Hulk match and uh, where it took place right in the Southeastern Territory. And the Hulk certainly didn't start his career at the top. So uh, let's start today with a quick picture of kind of Hulk's uh, early rise to stardom, uh, how he got to where he got, uh, or at least the beginning of it. So, you know, Terry Bullia, uh, that's, the, that's the name of the future Hulk. Uh, was from the Tampa area, and he got the opportunity to train with the same wrestler that I did, basically. Uh, former World Junior Heavyweight Champion Hiro Matsuda was a regular in the snake pit. Uh, we talked about that, and uh, it was a very appropriate name, well-earned by the famous building that housed the, not just uh, the TV studio, but uh, Gordon Soli was doing the commentary, and, uh, and it also was the office for the Florida Territory. 102 North Albany in Tampa was where that old building was. And uh, <laughs> it's the same building that I learned a lot of shooting moves, uh, like the Sugar Hole back in 1971 and 72. 
I remember those four sugar hold stud casts very well. And if I recall, numbers 39, 40, 41, 42, somewhere along in there, they begin with number 39, I think, titled The Legendary Snake Pit. That was definitely a scary place for young wrestlers. A lot of people got hurt there. So how does the Hulk, the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan, fit into that scenario way back in the day? Well, you know, Terry, uh, Terry Bolia, long before he became the Hulk, came there uh, basically to train, to be a wrestler. Uh, wasn't uncommon. A lot of guys were trained out of there. And uh, Hiro Matsuda was still training wrestlers and shooting with them, just as he'd been doing in the late, since the late 1960s. He'd gone down into that territory and been training guys for years and years. And that was probably about 10 years earlier uh, than the day Terry actually came through that dangerous door. You know, Terry showed up there about uh, 1978, somewhere in that area. So Matsuda, for some reason, that I'm not aware of. I really don't know all the history of how this happened and why it happened, but he broke the future Hulk's leg on purpose, trying to discourage him, man, from ever becoming a wrestler. Wow. Okay. I never knew that about the Hulk, and I bet a lot of other fans haven't heard that either. So it does sound familiar, though. In one of the first five studcasts, didn't you tell the story about your grandfather, Roy, having something like that done to him? by the original Dutch Mantel back in the early 1920s for maybe the, the same reason? <laughs> well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, um, Dutch Mantel, the original, broke Roy's wrist, the first first match, the first uh, workout they ever had. And uh, Roy was gone for a couple of months, and he came back uh, when he got well, and uh, Mantel broke his ribs in the second workout. Uh, so professional wrestling was never easy to get into, man, uh, especially back in those early 1920s on up until about the 1990s. And then it changed a little bit. People began training all over the country. So to his credit, uh, Terry busted leg, his busted and broken leg didn't stop him, you know, uh, but his career didn't start in the Florida Territory down there uh, because uh, they didn't want to use him there. And I never really understood that either. So uh, Louis Tillette, who was my Gulf Coast booker at this time, found him down there, and he brought him into the southeastern Gulf Coast territory. And he wanted to find out for himself, Louis did, whether Terry Bolia had a future in wrestling. And our wrestlers and uh, millions more around the world, I guess they now know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they do. What a great beginning to this podcast, Ron. I can't wait to get it really into it and start diving a little deeper. So where are we going to be riding on this one today? Well, since we've started with the Hulk, uh, remember I said in the last studcast, we were in this studcast going to take a closer look at the at kind of the three-phase plan that Louis Tillette and I had, had uh, developed uh, for the Hulk's uh, southeastern future. So uh, we'll start there today. And, uh, but we'll also cover the huge week in May of 1979 in the Gulf Coast Territory. It gets started in Mobile with a great card, and it ends on a Friday night two days later in Dothan, Alabama, when Andre the Giant faced the Hulk for the first time ever. Uh, we'll discuss the TV that promoted these cards, the results of their matches, and the attendances in Mobile and in Dothan, obviously. And then we'll ride into the southeastern Knoxville Territory, uh, we'll take a close look at Bob Roop's first Knoxville card in May of 1979 to see what stands out. 
you know, as we did in the last podcast, is something fairly obvious about where his mind was headed, man. Uh, as we get closer and closer each each studcast now to the beginning of the Knoxville War, we'll break down the TV show in Knoxville and the TV that promoted that. Uh, you know, we'll get the results of the matches mm-hmm. and we'll get the Knoxville attendance. And then hopefully, Dave, we got the time. We'll have another learning tree is question as well. Hey, speaking of the learning tree, judging from your social media, a lot of your fans really were really picked up on that. Enjoyed that one. On the last episode, it was about your it was about your brother's critical situation in the Memphis territory, along with many of the wrestlers that you had sent there from both southeastern territories. So let's get back to our conversation about the Hulk and the 1979 plan you and Louis Tillet had for his southeastern future. Well, Louis, man, and, and both Louis and I were pleased with his, with his star recruit. That's what I'll call him, I guess. Uh, uh, Hulk was the name that we'd given him, and uh, and uh, and uh, Terry had a great attitude. Uh, he had a great desire to learn as fast as possible, and uh, both Louis and I recognized early on that Terry's height and his huge body was going to make it difficult for him to wrestle. Uh, just any, not, you know, anybody basically, and certainly uh, for smaller guys. So other than me at six feet nine, uh, he was going to be looking down at almost every opponent. He's about six eight. Uh, so in May of 1979, he was about as far along as I was going to be able to take him. I couldn't keep wrestling him every week. That's what I've been doing now for about uh, four weeks. <laughs> and the upcoming card that we'll be talking about later was the fourth straight week that I'd wrestle against him. So he was going to need someone else his size soon to work with. And we'd already begun to discuss who in the sport was close to his size and available as soon as possible. Uh, Somebody had to replace me. And one name we both liked was Ox Baker, but he wasn't available soon enough for us. Hmm. Uh, It was going to be a little while before Ox could get there. So the other person that we discussed was perfect, man. And uh, he was a wrestler that also needed someone closer to his size Mm -hmm. to have a competitive match. So Louis was from Montreal, Canada, and he had a close relationship with the most recognized wrestler in the world back in those days and maybe still today, Andre the Giant. And they had met years earlier in Montreal when Andre arrived there from France. So uh, due to that connection, uh, you know, Andre was somewhat available. Well, he was going to be easy for us to, uh, I think, uh, get down there into the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. So I also had a very good relationship with Andre. He'd been in the territory uh, uh, about since about four Four, four years earlier, he had mm-hmm. been in both southeastern territories at this point. And, uh, but just as important, I also had a good relationship with the guy that booked him, man. And that was Vince McMahon Sr., the owner of the WWF territory. Yeah, you know, I've heard you talk about how you knew Vince McMahon Sr., but how, how did that happen? How did that hookup begin? Was it, was it from booking like folks like Andre the Giant over the, the past number of years? Well, you know, I, I wrestled for uh, Vince Sr. in Madison Square Garden in 1973, but it was primarily because he came every year, uh, Vince did, to the NWA convention in Las Vegas. And so did Vern Gagne, who was the owner of the other major wrestling organization in America, mm-hmm. uh, the AWA. Yep. 
And they were both welcome at the NWA convention, and uh, and I got to know them both uh, over those years. So Andre the Giant and the Future Hulk were an obvious natural fit, man, for each other. Louis had already talked to Andre about his new talent that we had and uh, that he was huge, that, like Andre, and a perfect fit for him as an opponent. And I'd also talked to Vince Sr. at this point about someone new that I had in my territory that was a perfect fit for Andre. So basically a deal was made uh, between me and Vince. Uh, obviously Andre was going to be a part of it, and uh, and it was going to put Andre in Dothan, Alabama on Friday night, May the 4th, 1979, for a three-day stay. And uh, that May the 4th, 1979 afternoon, uh, Terry the Hulk Boulder or Sterling Golden or, you know, whatever <laughs> name you want to use, and he had a bunch of them at this point, yeah. you know. Uh, they wanted to, you know, the, Terry rode with me over to Louis Tillet's home in Dothan. And uh, hmm. Andre was waiting there. Wow. And, uh, so it was in Southeastern Wrestling on the May the 4th, 1979, that for the first time, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan laid eyes on each other. All right. And, and, uh, <laughs> th- th- and that was in Dothan, Alabama at L- Louis Tillet's home. Yes. Louis House. And wow. uh, those same two wrestlers, now think about it, eight years later, are going to wrestle in the main event in front of the largest wrestling crowd in American history. Oh, yeah. That, so. Yeah, that day is coming. And, and that's one I think everybody will remember. T- to me, that's why Dothan, Alabama is important because to all of wrestling and this little town that, that I've lived in for most of my life, it, it's kind of amazing where it does stand in the annals of wrestling history. So listen, this, this is real history. We're talking about here, stud hard to believe in this stud cast that we're going to hear about the first match ever between Andre and the future Hulk Hogan. I can't wait any longer. This is uh, the anticipation's kind of building on this one. So can we get to the Southeastern Gulf coast card? You said we would be talking about today. Yes. Sheesh, man. Uh, we got a lot yes. to cover, a lot of ground to cover here. So, uh, you know, Andre is going to be involved in the next two studcasts, actually, not just this one. Next week's studcast, he'll be highly involved in, too. Uh, he was in the Gulf Coast, like I said, for three days. The first match ever against the Hulk was going to be on Friday night, May the 4th, uh, in the big old Houston County Farm Center in Dothan. And uh, before we talk about that night, I want to start with the card in Mobile, Alabama, in the Expo Hall on Wednesday, May the 2nd, 1979, of that same week. All right. So, uh, so what was on that Mobile card? Two days before the first ever Andre and Hawk match. Armand Hussein opened up against Bill Ale- Ben Alexander. Uh, Herb Calvert uh, would challenge the fans first, as he did every night, and he was still doing. And uh, then he would wrestle Eddie Sullivan, managed by Billy Spears. Uh, in a no disqualification match on that card, Roy Lee Welch was facing the Gladiator, also managed by Billy Spears. And in a return match for the Southeastern Tag Belts, the former champions, Ricky and Terry, had lost those belts the Wednesday before. We're going to be facing the new champions, the powerful Samoans, man. What a heck of a team they were, managed by Billy Spears. Ron Slinker, United States Karate Champion was getting another shot at Dr. D, David Schultz, Southeastern Championship. And the main event was a lumberjack match with wrestlers around the ring, basically there to throw 
the contestants back into the ring uh, <laughs> whenever they left. Whether they were thrown out on purpose or jumped out, they got them back into the ring quick. And uh, that lumberjack match was between the Hulk, managed by Billy Spears, oh, and me. Really? Wow. Okay, that's a pretty good card, Ron. So how about the TV show that promoted this card that built the whole thing up? Well, that was a very tricky part of this, uh, you know, to put together, Dave. Uh, you know, the Andre and Hulk Dothan match was, it was the only one uh, of the matches that was in the three markets in the territory. So it was also the only match of the week that wasn't on the other cards. Uh, so uh, that being the case, we could do the entire show as we always did, mm -hmm. but we had to do a second personality profile to be shown in the Dothan market only hmm. to promote this Andre and, and Hulk match. So that profile, the second one, would be all about, obviously, Andre and the Hulk match. All right, that's a pretty good angle and a pretty smart way to handle that, just to get that covered and kind of cover two bases at one time. So when did you record that special personality profile, the extra one? Well, you know, it was after the normal show when the studio, all the fans left and the studio was empty. Uh, we kept talk there with uh, Billy Spears and, uh, and I'll get back to that later, but let's lay this TV out for everybody. Uh, it was really loaded, man. It opened up with Charlie at the set with Ricky Fields and Terry Latham, and they watched their loss of the Southeastern Tag Championship in Mobile three nights earlier to the big Samoan team. And, uh, that video was immediately followed by the first match, who was the Samoans, the new tag team champions, a managed band uh, by their, at this point, peacock proud manager, I guess is a good way of uh, saying it, Billy Spears. <laughs> you know, he was uh, walking on cloud nine, mm -hmm. and uh, the Samoans demolished a couple of young wrestlers, and uh, Fields and Latham set it to set and watched the match with Les. Uh, second segment in the show started with Roy Lee Welch, showing a video of a match that he had the week before. This one came out of Montgomery, Alabama, and most of these uh, videos have been coming out of Mobile. We're going to have them in three different cities in this television show. So this match comes from Mobile. It's uh, Roy against uh, the Gladiator. Roy was bleeding pretty badly. Uh, one of the first times that they had had any blood between those two guys, and that was followed by the Gladiator, Dick Steinborn, uh, he went right into the ring immediately following a Roy watching this video and he put his opponent to sleep, which he was pretty good at, at that because he was a great wrestler. He could, he could do all kinds of uh, finishes. And, uh, you know, next, uh, you know, in Billy Spears, as soon as uh, Steinborn got his win, the gladiator got his win. Billy was just as, as peacock proud as he was about his Samoans, man. He was jumped in the ring and raised uh, Steinborn's hand and, so then the first personality profile uh, we did on this show was done live. And uh, the studio audience was sitting right there next to the set and, uh, you know, just feet away. And it would be seen in just the Montgomery and the Mobile markets only because we're saving that uh, that the personality profile in the Dothan market because of that Hulk and uh, the Hulk and Andre match. So. This uh, first uh, personality profile was with Billy Spears, and he had all of his family there. He had the Hulk, he had the Samoans, he had the Gladiator, he had Eddie Sullivan. It was a it was a set full of people, to be honest. And uh, 
And then he started off uh, with a big hello to his mama, naturally, saying how <laughs> proud she was of him and his family as far. And then he announced he had more good news, that the family was growing again. And there was a new member on his way. And that new member, he had described him as the most dangerous wrestler on the planet. Uh, he told him his name was Ox Baker. And, uh, and he said Ox had reportedly killed two wrestlers with his heart punch. And he'd be on this TV show the very next week. So the studio audience was not impressed by this, obviously. And mm. they let him know. They they booed him. And, uh, you know, and I think Spears loved the boo. He didn't make him any difference. <laughs> so then he asked Hope to step forward. You know, he's going to highlight him. And he immediately bypassed Charlie Platt. And uh, went right straight to the director. He told, uh, you know, uh, Wayne, Wayne Register, who was the director of the show, he said, Wayne, run that uh, video I gave you. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. and the Charlie's yeah. sitting there, and, and you know, that upset Charlie, naturally. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, you know, but uh, Billy didn't care. He said, run that video I, I gave you up there. And it was a submission match uh, from three nights earlier between me and uh, Sterling Golden. Or <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> so the video started at the very end of the match. Since he had gone up there, Billy had taken it to him. And he had, he had messed with it and he set it up to where it started at the very end of the match. At the point where Hulk had me in his bear hug. And I was out cold at that point. Because uh, Spears uh, just took over as soon as it started the video. And he's started talking over the top of Charlie. Charlie just backed off and let him go. And he described what the fans were seeing in the video. And in the video, the referee was raising my hand and he dropped it three times in a row before he stopped the match. And uh, then he uh, raised the Hulk's hand in victory. And uh, Spears was at that point uh, on the set, says Patton Sterling, Sterling Golden on the back, man. <laughs> and uh, and as the crowd, the studio crowd, and next to him, then they really started booing. They at this point, uh, he he was going too far as always. And uh, so Charlie finally got Spears stopped, and he asked the director Wayne upstairs in the studio. He said, uh, Wayne, can you back that video up hmm. about two minutes further, right, and hmm. run it again? So Spears began to scream, there's no need for that, Charlie. You know, well, why? You know, and then and then when the video ran again, the first thing they saw was the referee laying down on his face in the ring. And I was pounding the hell out of the hook. And, uh, and I put my fuller leg lock on him. So right. Spears, Spears like, yells, he says, uh, Somebody doctored that tape because Ron Fuller never had my Sterling in that hold. He never put that hold on him, you know. And then the video showed Spears come in the ring. He had something in his hand. He hit me with it. And uh, and uh, Hulk's doing <laughs> screaming like crazy when he hits me with it. And and he basically put turned out my life for a few seconds there. So Spears started uh, rounding up his men in the profile. Let's get off this set, he said. Let's go. Let's go. And uh, Charlie asked him not to leave, you know, and he said, hey, the video isn't over yet. <laughs> and then Charlie was very upset. So he added at the end, he said, the video's not over yet. And he goes, he says, your mama's not going to like you running off like a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and the studio uh, popped, <laughs> obviously. 
you know, they'd gone instantly from booing him to laughing at him, man. And his, him and his family's trying to get off the set while Charlie, Charlie's taking control, finally. Yeah, the video don't lie. And I remember those days. Charlie Platt used to love to make make a fool out of Billy Spears. And I, it was, I think it was so easy for Charlie. And the studio audience always loved it. Great TV so far. So how do you follow that? Well, Herb Calvert, man, uh, who was at this point over, man, uh, and he joined Charlie to set after the profile. And uh, he'd been growing in popularity since this little feud had started between him and Funk Rock, Wayne Ferris, uh, future honky-tonk man. And uh, they really loved him at this time, the studio, man, you know, and, and all the people in the territory. And that, this video was from hometown, uh, you know, and uh, the, the third city in the territory. Uh, this one was right there from Dothan, this video. And, uh, and the, you know, the fans ate it up. It showed Calvert uh, beating Honky Tonk, uh, Punk Rock, and uh, sending him uh, out of the Southeastern Territory because it was a loser-league match. Uh, then uh, Ron Slinker uh, got a huge round of applause from the studio crowd. Uh, after that video was done, Slinker goes in the ring. He's the first baby face in the ring for this entire show. I mean, this has been a Billy Spears show. It started with Samoans, then it went to the Gladiator, and then it went to the Profile. So finally, the fans are happy to see a baby face here, right? And uh, Slinker, you know, uh, he was kind of a dual-thread athlete. He had tremendous skills, not only a very good wrestler, but gosh, he was the United States Karate Champion, so he could do it all. And uh, then I closed the show out, and uh, I got myself a win. And the, and the real win, though, was when Charlie Platt announced at the end of the show that next week Andre the Giant was going to be live on TV. Wow. Okay, wait a second. I think I get it, Stud. It was May, the first week of the Arbitron or Nielsen TV rating period. So no wonder Andre was <laughs> going to be dropping by. When everybody was gone from the studio... What was on that second personality profile that was seen only in the Dothan market? Well, I had to steal a little bit, you know, Dave. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, those rating periods were important. And just uh, it just happened. Andre happened to be there for the first one in May. Uh, so uh, and then, uh, you know, so this second profile studio is all gone. Everybody's gone. It's emptied out. It's got Billy Spears. And, uh, and as Spears called him uh, he, in the video, which he had called him always at his point, he called him Ster Sterling the Hug Golden. Uh, there on the video with Charlie, uh, the profile. And uh, they watched an interview that had been cut in Vince McMahon's territory, cut in New York and sent to Dothan three days earlier. It was uh, Andre the Giant talking about coming back to Dothan again. Because the first night we opened that territory was March 3rd, 1978. Mm -hmm. And, and Andre was on that very first card mm. and a meeting, uh, you know, and he wanted to look forward to meeting all his old friends. And, uh, and he said he had never heard of this wrestler, which is true. You know, mm -hmm. he said he never heard of this wrestler called the Hulk, but, uh, everyone that knew him said he was a very big guy and, uh, you know, and then Andre ended up in his normal fashion. He said, but I don't care. The bigger, the better. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he wasn't concerned about it. Right. So Spears jumped in 
you know, the second the video ended. And, and he said this was the moment he and Sterling had been waiting for. And then uh, suddenly, for the first time Hulk had done anything like this, he just stopped Billy right in the middle. Hey, 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 I got this. And he, he asked, uh, you know, he says to, he says to, uh, to Billy, he says, uh, how many times have I told you my name is Terry? Uh, you know, and, uh-huh. and then for the first time, he didn't just say that little thing to say. He took over the rest of the interview. He was like a different person than mm-hmm. this personality profile mm-hmm. than we had seen from him. So Hulk said, basically, you know, there are going to be two big phenomenal things in wrestling that were going to happen this month. And both of them are going to happen in Southeastern wrestling. And both of them are going to change wrestling history forever. He said, next Friday night, he says, I'm going to beat Andre the Giant. Wow. And then three weeks later, I'm going to beat the NWA world champion, Harley Race. Wow. And he walked off the set. <laughs> Billy Spears was chasing behind him, apologizing. Hey, Hulk, whoa, whoa, you know. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty short little deal, but uh, it was very effective. So, and, it, and it showed a different personality for the Hulk. Yeah, definitely. And it showed kind of a little chink in the armor for maybe the Billy Spears organization. That's a really good interview for the Hulk's first one. And as you mentioned earlier, he, he waltzed in and became an immediate star and ready to wrestle, wrestle the likes of Andre, the giant and Harley race. That's pretty amazing. I don't, I don't remember seeing that one, but what that interview with the Hulk, but what happened in mobile five days later that had the same matches as Dothan, except for the main event. Well, Armand Hussein uh, won his match over Ben Alexander. Herb Calvert beat Eddie Sullivan. Uh, the Gladiator uh, beat Roy Lee Welch. Fields and Latham got their hands raised, but they didn't get the belts. They won by disqualification over the Samoans, and they were obviously managed by Billy Spears. Uh, Ron Slinker won the Southeastern Championship from David Schultz that night. And wow, those fans of Mobile went crazy over that. Uh, the Hulk won the Lumberjack with me in not only Mobile, but also in Montgomery. All right, so what happened in the Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan match in Dothan, Alabama, just two days after Mobile? Well, I can tell you this, man. It was absolutely electric in that building, man. Uh, uh, when I walked out and looked at it, the uh, only way I could describe it, it was a sea of humanity <laughs> in that farm center. Uh-huh. Every seat was filled. And then maybe a thousand people standing behind the ringside on both ends of that farm center. You know, you had the two bleachers on one side, mm-hmm. but on the other end, you had a great expanse between the ringside and the entrances and exits to the building. Yeah. And that was all full of people standing. Uh, and, the, you know, strength versus strength match, man, uh, this is what it was. I watched this match, uh, and, uh, and basically it was a strength versus strength match in the early part. The fans were so into it. They stood up on everything. Wow. And uh, at the end of it, that kind of turned violent instead of just being a, a, who's, who's the strongest. And uh, mm-hmm. Spears got Hulk basically uh, disqualified intentionally. Uh-huh. And uh, Billy Spears ran to the dressing room, I remember, by himself. <laughs> Hulk stayed around the ring there. Before he went back, after it was all over. Wow! Uh, wow! And there were so many people in there. He could uh, Spears could hardly get to the dressing room. 
So how about attendance for both cities? It had to be really huge. Well, Mobile was a sellout again. It was over 5,000 in the Expo Hall. Uh, Dothan set an all-time record, not just for Southeastern at this point down there, yeah. but for the building, the Farm Center. Uh, you know, the Farm Center was built to hold about 5,000 people, yeah. and it had over 6,000 in it. I've seen that place. I've seen that place overloaded. Garth Brooks, there's no telling how many he put. Can you believe he played in the Houston County Farm Center twice and one night during the National Peanut Festival? And that was the point they said, okay, there's going to be there's going to be a limit to how many folks because of the, of the fire department, uh, how many how many we allow into this building. All right, so I saw all of the buildup of the Hulk, but sadly missed that event. I had friends that went and said it was absolutely awesome. So it was a great, this has really been a great first half of this Studcast. When we come back, we're going to be riding north into Tennessee. Stud, you said you had a special announcement for the break today. So it's all yours on the break. This truly is, man, a special announcement, Dave. Uh, just a few days away on Saturday, May the 6th, 2023, 20, uh, my cousin, Jimmy Golden, and I are going to be appearing in Rocky Top, Tennessee, man, for a wrestling event. And, uh, and this all started with my good friend, uh, Mike Jackson, uh, who used to be the ring announcer for the Continental Wrestling Show. Later on, he became a wrestler himself and a pretty darn good one. And uh, and uh, Mike Jackson contacted me recently, and he asked me if I'd do him a special favor. And uh, he still wrestles. And, you know, he was having a problem with a couple of guys, he said, and he asked me if I, if I would mind uh, partnering with him and settling it. So uh, I haven't been a ring, I got to tell everybody in <laughs> this area for years, mm -hmm. but I'm still in pretty good shape, you know. So uh, so I, I told uh, Mike I'd do it for him, you know, and uh, and I'd be happy to help him, and, and I'd help him kick some butt. So uh, Jimmy Golden found out about this, and, uh, and he, got, he asked me if uh, – if he could be in our corner, he wanted to come and manage me and Mike Jackson in this uh, match. So on Saturday, May the 6th, uh, I'll be back in the ring with Mike Jackson as my partner and Jimmy Golden in our corner. And uh, this is an extremely unique opportunity, I would say, because uh, I don't think I'll ever do it again, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but this is a pretty unique opportunity for fans, mm -hmm. not only from Knoxville, which is really close to Rocky Top, uh, but fans in southeastern Kentucky, then they can come to, they can head down south and uh, and they can get in that area pretty quickly. Uh, basically, all East Tennessee, man, and and uh, they uh, they're welcome to come see this match. Uh, me and Jimmy are going to be there, obviously, and we're going to plan on being there about six o'clock at night uh, mm -hmm. before they before they bring the bell. Um, we'll we'll sign autographs. Uh, you know, there'll be some souvenirs. Uh, We'll take cell phone photographs or, or, you know, we just want to shake hands and say hello to everybody. So, so I love these opportunities. I don't do this very often, uh, especially something like this to get in the ring. And uh, so uh, this is a great opportunity for me to meet thousands of these old school fans from this part of the country. And so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so don't forget that's on uh, Saturday night, May the 6th. It's going to be at the Rocky Top Con Community Center, which is uh, – uh, on North Main Street in Rocky Top, Tennessee. And, and you know, Dave, I've, I've never been to Rocky Top. I, I never knew there was a town called Rocky Top. 
I never There's knew. a town called Rocky Top, and I love that <laughs> song. So yeah. I'm going to sing a little bit of it, you know. Uh, uh, Rocky uh, Top, you'll always be oh. home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, oh, that's where I'm going to be. Oh, Ron, please. Okay, is it over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's over, man. Oh, Ron, listen. <laughs> I would love to see that match. That would be a lot of fun. It makes me wish I lived in Tennessee. And, and again, I never knew there was a town called Rocky Top. So I, now, obviously, I know where the song came from. All right. I hope you don't get hurt. I hope nobody gets hurt. One of these guys with a wraparound punch or something. Just uh, try not to uh, just stand clear, Ron. Just do the best you can. Just use the big boot as often. Just throw your leg up. That's That should be enough. Listen, I got a feeling the, the Rocky Top excitement is going to be quickly replaced in the continuation of this studcast, especially with all the intrigue going into the Tennessee Territory in May of 1979. So what was on the Knoxville Coliseum card as we move up north Friday, May 4th, 1979? Well, I said earlier in the studcast that I'd be scrutinizing this Knoxville card to see what did and what didn't make sense uh, as we get near each week to the Knoxville War. So after looking it over, man, which, you know, uh, I hadn't done this in, gosh, forever, basically, until we I got to doing these studcasts and looking at these cards more carefully. Uh, this was another absolutely crazy card. Uh, it had no continuity to it at all with the card from the last guest. And uh, so as I'm telling people who would have owned this card, I, I want to point out some of the strange things about each one of these matches as we go through them. So before we look at this card, Dave, uh, think about this. Uh, and this should this tells everything, basically. And uh, I should have picked up on it, but wow, I had no idea what was going on. So I had told Bob Roop two weeks in advance of this card that I was going to be off in Dothan the night of this Knoxville event because Andre was going to be wrestling the Hulk instead of me. I'd been wrestling the Hulk steadily everywhere. Andre's going to take him that night. And I told, uh, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the my booker, Bob Roop, that if he needed me, I'd work on that Knoxville card. Or if he didn't, he could use Ron Slinker. And he said, Ron, I'll take Ron Slinker. <laughs> so, so I put myself back on the Dothan card since, you know, I, I, I wanted to see the Andre match anyway. <laughs> so uh, I went into Dothan and uh, sent Slinker up there to, to work in the Knoxville on this card. So I assumed that when he, when he told me this, that, wow, he, he must have a great card, man. But after seeing it, man, I, I realized that I made the great deal. I ended up working on a tremendous card, man, with the, one of the huge, biggest events in the history of the sport in uh, Dothan, Alabama. So the opening match in Knoxville was Tony Charles from the Memphis Territory. At this point, he's over there with Robin Memphis. He was against Ken Lucas. And uh, I was pleased to see that Roop had connected with my brother, man, to get the benefit of, of a former star like Tony Charles who was really over in Knoxville. I thought that was a good move on his part. Uh, and then after that, though, the rest of this card, it got crazy. So the next match was very questionable simply because Crusher Blackwell was again in the second match. 
instead of being somewhere toward the top of the card. I mean, that to me is like, what's going on with Crusher, you know? And they had him wrestling Terry Gibbs in a Bayliner boat tournament match. And uh, that didn't seem right to me. And uh, and when I look back at the last card that we had, uh, Terry Gibbs got beat and eliminated from the tournament the week before, and he's back again against Crusher Blackwell. Well, that fact alone just hurt the whole legitimacy of the entire tournament. Mm-hmm. What is the guy that's lost doing back in it again? Mm-hmm. So the third match on this card was another Bayliner boat match. It was Dean O against Ted Allen. And, uh, and I looked a little further back, and Ted Allen had lost a tournament match three weeks earlier against Tony Peters. So who was keeping up with the winners and the losers in the tournament? You know, I, I got a boat I bought, and, uh, you know, we're, we're running these tournaments and having losers coming back to wrestle again. Uh, not the kind of mistake that no, it normally would be made. Should have told me a whole lot at this point, but I didn't look back at it years before. Uh, I didn't pay that much attention to the Knoxville cards. The fourth match on this card was Kevin Sullivan against Bob Root. Uh, Bob Root was coming off of two straight weeks that he'd been in the main events against Ronnie Garvin. And on this card, he booked Malenko, put Malenko back in the main event against Garvin. And on the next card, the following week, Roop was going to be going back against Garvin again. Uh, and he was going to be going back and against him again in the exact same match with the same stipulations that they had had the week before. So, gosh, I was like, why do you do that? I mean, where's the continuity here? You've you got to be uh, following this stuff with other matches and the right type of card. Fifth match on this card in Knoxville was a karate legal match between Mr. Fuji and Ron Slinker after Rupert decided he didn't need me. And I went to Dothan. Uh, he, so he put Slinker in this karate legal match with uh, Fuji. Wow. Uh, and, uh, so, and here was the crazy part. Bob Rupert knew that Slinker was going to the Gulf Coast territory full time. But, you know, he had Slinker uh, beat. Mr. Fuji on the card last week, right? Wow. Wow. Why would you do that? He knows that Slinker's not going to be there. Slinker couldn't, there's no way he could benefit from getting a win, no. right? Especially if he's leaving the territory the next week. And and why would you beat Fuji, right? When yeah. he's staying in the territory. Yeah. I mean, that was like, this, this is this, it, it turned, it started turning really sour for me by the mm-hmm. point we got to this. Sixth match on that card was the first single match ever between Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. since Dick Slater had come into the territory. First time they wrestled. I guess what kind of match, man, uh, they were going to have. I mean, they were going to be in, Dave. Mm, just a regular match, I would guess, since it was their first time together, maybe? Uh, well, that's a good logical guess. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's an any booker way you would book the card, mm-hmm. but not with Bob Roop's booking. <laughs> their first match against each other was the Texas death match. Are you are you kidding? <laughs> God. So, you know, so let's take it to the next level. What kind of match do you think they're going to be in on the next card for their second match together? Oh, come on. I have no idea after you got me with the last one. (laughs) Next week, they're going to be in a cage for their very second match ever in the cage. Wow. 
Okay, how does that make any Well, we're talking about Bob Root. How does that make any sense? That is that a crazy question? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I think, I think uh, that's the point here, basically, at this point. Uh, you know, uh, booking, you know, that booking that makes no sense always leads to dead territories. You book a territory this way long enough, and you're going to take one that's doing great and kill it. So, you know, looking back, as I now am for the first time, I think that's exactly what Root wanted. He wanted a dead territory, you know, uh, uh, because his plans were the, you know, uh, to take it over. So, you know, if you kill it, it's a lot easier to take it over than if it's thriving and you try to beat it. Mm-hmm. So one month, one more match was on this car. Okay. The, the main event. And, uh, at, you know, uh, at this point, uh, uh, booking makes no sense, man. Uh, you know, if you, if you're going to tear it, tear it, Tear a territory down. Yeah. So, so next match, last match, Southeastern Championship match between Ronnie Garvin and the Great Malenko. Uh, Crusher Blackwell was the special referee in this match. So I went back and counted uh, between August 11th, 1978, and this card, Ronnie Garvin and the Great Malenko had wrestled against each other 15 times in Knoxville. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> but it gets worse. I mean, uh, so Rob, you know, uh, Roop had ruined a good angle, man. Uh, that The Canadian Bumblebee angle was a great little angle. Uh, and he also killed the great worker, Jerry Blackwell, in, in just six short weeks. You know, the bee had disappeared. And now Crusher Blackwell uh, was the second, uh, you know, was in say who is now a second match man for about three weeks in a row on this card. He's a referee. <laughs> so, wow, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. All right, so it sounds like a perfect recipe for. I think you alluded to this destroying a territory. I hesitate to ask, but how about the TV show that was supposed to set all this up? Well. You know, uh, earlier, you know, I mentioned the necessity, basically, uh, for continuity to be in the booking, uh, right. you know. Uh, yeah. And continuity, you know, I, I'm sure no most major fans or most fans won't understand what I mean by continuity. And to me, continuity seems simply means that uh, you develop these hot angles and then you ride these angles with uh, these long cro- programs between the same two guys. You have them in all different kinds of matches as the program goes along. And, uh, and when you did that, and, uh, and, and then if you had the ability to tape those matches from the arenas, you also, by showing those videos back, not only enhance the, 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 the uh, program that you're working and the matches, but it really enhanced the TV show, too. And, uh, and, and when you did that, you add those matches, uh, into your TV show and then, uh, you, you continue to make money. Your booking is being successful at that point. Uh, Roop had no continuity with his booking and therefore, you know, he didn't need videos <laughs> and he used fewer and fewer videos. And I, and I think at this point he was doing it on purpose. Uh, it wasn't by accident. So, you know, if that's the case, uh, then why tape the matches? If you're not going to book the same two guys together week after week, the angles 
were always sold by basically the wrestlers and their interviews. And, uh, and the angles were told by the videos. And uh, that was a magic way of booking. And uh, this card had only one match on it. This, this TV show had, uh, you know, this card had only one match on it that had the same opponents as the week before. So why would you film any of those matches? These guys aren't coming back against each other. So, therefore, it had not just a single video on the TV show. Not a single video on this television show. Wow. That wow. meant the TV basically had no story to tell. Mm. So, without the video from the event, the only thing that could be done on your TV show at that point was to have four regular matches. And even the personality profile was dull. It was so bad that Les was the <laughs> was the the first to bring this particular show to my attention because uh, I wasn't there. I was down there. I'm going to be uh, on the card the next night. Uh, you know, Actually, uh, I've been on the card, and I'm going to watch another television program that Andre's on. So, uh, so you know, uh, this particular show, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it was like I had no idea that there might be something going on. Uh, you know, in the territory. Uh, and uh, Les was just like me. He had no idea of what was happening here. And uh, we didn't know that uh, there was going to be a revolt among the crew here, man, in the next three or four weeks. Hmm. And a war is going to start for the territory. Wow. So thankfully, Les was all business when it came to the TV show. And he called me in Dothan immediately after the TV show down there. And, uh, and so I asked him, I said, well, Les, how bad was the TV? What was on it? So, uh, and the best I can remember, I'm going to kind of describe the way Les described this television show. He said, the great Malenko opened the TV show. He said he got a win. And then he said, then he made an interview about his upcoming Southeastern title match and how much he hated Jerry Blackwell as being the, the special referee for the match. And he said, then Dick Slater got a win in the second match. And there was an interview between him and Bob Orton Jr. about their upcoming Texas death match. He said, on the personality profile, he said, I'd crush your Blackwell. And uh, he was making his first appearance, he said, in three weeks on the TV at all, right? And he says, and he says during the course of the personality profile, he said, there wasn't even a mention of the Canadian Bumblebee. Uh, or what had happened mm -hmm. to the Canadian Bumblebee. Mm -hmm. He said, and Blackwell's only comments were about, you know, he's going to try to do his best job as the referee in the main event for the following Friday night. Mm -hmm. He said, then Mr. Fuji got a win. And he said, then he and the manager, Ron Wright, watched an interview from Ron Slaker that had been taped in Dothan and sent up there to the TV station. And he said, Slinker talked about the upcoming karate match. And he said, Mr. Fuji and Ron Wright answered his comments. He said, the TV closed with another Garvin leap off the top rope and somebody's throat. And uh, he said, Garvin closed the show out with his thoughts on the upcoming championship match with the great Malenko, refereed by Jerry Blackwell. <laughs> so, wow. And... <laughs> So after hearing this dull explanation of this TV show, I didn't dare tell Les, man, what we were doing on the Gulf Coast TV show that day. Oh, All of the God. good stuff we had. Oh, no doubt. That TV was certainly not even close to the Gulf Coast TV show. Not a single video from an arena on the Knoxville TV show at all. The Gulf Coast TV show had four videos 
from three different cities and an interview from New York with the one and only Andre the Giant. You don't get bigger than that, no pun intended. So what about the results on the Knoxville card the following Friday night? Tony Charles beat Ken Lucas in the Bayliner Boat Tournament. Uh, Jerry Blackwell got a win in the tournament over Terry Gibbs, who had already been eliminated. Uh, Dean Ho got a win over Ted Allen, who had also already been eliminated from the tournament. Uh, and then uh, Kevin Sullivan got a victory over Bob Root. Uh, Mr. Fuji, managed by Ron Wright, won a match, his match over Ron Slaker. I, Surprisingly, Root figured out, well, since Slinker's not going to be here, I might as well have Fuji win. And there was a karate legal, legal match. And then Dick Slater won over Bob Orton Jr. in the Texas death match. They're coming back in the cage in their second match ever. And Ronnie Garvin retained his southeastern belt against the great Malenko. All right. So what about the attendance for this one, Stud? How did, how did that come out? Well, man, as you can imagine, after this dead TV, I mean, uh, last week it was 4,000 and it dropped uh, to 3,600. Wow. All right. So what a year you had been having so far in 1979, Ron. Knoxville was doing well at the beginning of the year while the Gulf Coast struggled due to the Memphis situation because you guys sacrificed and sent so much talent and on loan to Memphis. Then a complete turnaround happened. Gulf Coast really started kicking butt, and now Tennessee was in a slump, and it was only four months. You were only four months into 1979. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. What a what a start to your year, right? I mean, uh, it's pretty easy to see why 1979 was my, the most difficult year in my career, man. Uh, all the ups and downs, it was like a yo-yo, man. Uh, so I basically had the discovery of this wrestler that's going to go on to become maybe the biggest star of all time. And, uh, mm -hmm. and at the same time, mm -hmm. the bottom's going to drop out of my other territory that I'd spent five years building. <laughs> so looking back on it now, as I'm doing every one of these studcasts and the research that I put into it, it brings it all back to me, man. 44 years later, uh, wow, at how bad things were. And sometimes it's almost too much to even talk about. Uh, I don't know how I survived it. Okay, Ron, I, I've been hesitating, but I want to ask, was Bob Roop just incompetent, not able to create a storyline and then follow a storyline like you and Robert had done so well for so many years with a terrific background that you had. So either Roop was incompetent, not able to accomplish this, or it was intentional just screwing you guys. Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, obviously uh, it's the latter of the two, Dave. Uh, you know, I mean, he was competent. He'd been booking since August of that year of our, of 78. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he had, he had done some pretty good, uh, pretty good booking. We've had some good business, uh, uh, the uh, angle I mentioned earlier, the Canadian Bumblebee angle was a great angle. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think at this point, it's intentional. I, what's going to happen in the next few weeks is is part of this crew is going to uh, mutiny. They're going to start their own company. I mean, so obviously, I think it's intentional that he didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want business to be good. He wanted to try to kill it wow. as much as he could before he had to compete against it. 
But what I don't understand is folks like Ronnie Garvin, some folks that had really been loyal to you and you and Robert. I remember you talking about how Ronnie Garvin couldn't hardly even do an interview, couldn't even talk during an interview. And you guys really kind of helped him form his career. So that had to hurt, too. Were people like Ronnie Garvin in on this with him? Yes. Wow. Yes. And, uh, and and here's the deal, Dave. It's like throwing a throwing a rotten apple in the barrel. And that's kind of what happened, man. We had some good talent guys that had been very happy for mm-hmm. many, many years. Yeah. And when you take that guy like group with a horrible attitude, and I told the story on several different occasions here about uh him telling the wrestlers, convincing them that you're not getting paid properly. Huh. Uh, they're stealing money from you. Oh my Whatever God. it takes to change their minds and to put them on his side so that uh, they could try to steal it. So he, he basically more so him than Garvin and Orton mm-hmm. and Malenko try to steal it. I think he really wanted to own things himself and take these guys with him and start his own company. But uh, they, you know, they made a big mistake and. uh and all the deals, even in the Super Stud cast I have with Ronnie Garvin, we talk about the war. Wow. And he says, Ron's biggest mistake I ever made in my life. Wow. So those on one of those Super Stud casts, did you spend a full two hours with Ronnie talking about, I mean, not just talking about that, but was it two hours? Do you remember on that one? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Two okay. hours, uh, we talked about everything, you know, going back to... My first meeting him and being one of the first guys I, yeah. I ever worked a program with in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, and he admits that, uh, you know, he was he was taken. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he was convinced that, hey, you know, this guy's he, he really is trying to take care of us. He's and then and he was really uh, ruining all their careers. Oh, but but over the years, you, over the stud cast at least, you talked about how the pay le, the pay level in Knoxville was greater than any territory around, and how many wrestlers? Oh, I got to be in that territory because uh, the Fuller boys pay really good money, uh, depending on the house. So, wow, I just. That's I just can't fathom that somebody thinks they can come up and and concoct a plan like that. Hey, Ron, I got to tell you, this has been another great stud cast. So much groundbreaking history packed into this one alone. And I'm sorry, but I don't think we're going to have enough time for a learning tree question today. But luckily, we've gotten quite a few in lately. So what can you tell us about where we're going to be riding next week? Well, uh, southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, you know, and I'm sorry about the uh, no learning tree today, too, man. We had a great <laughs> one last week, and we've had a series of them. You're right. We've had quite a few lately. We've been lucky. But we're, we've are we got so much great stuff happening here in this territory at this time. Uh, uh, it's, it's history for wrestling, period. It's a tremendous wrestling history. So next week, we're going to be in southeastern Gulf Coast. We'll start there, and it's got a man. They got a real role going on down there uh, during this time frame. We're going to talk about the second phase, the Louis and my plan, my plan for the Hawks' future, uh, and uh, it's going to lead ultimately to his turning baby face uh, with a huge heel on his way, mm-hmm. who we mentioned today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, somebody for his size, somebody that's going to make a. Uh, Going to make this very, very interesting what goes on down there. Uh, the next stud cast, uh, we'll break down the TV. 
Uh, and we'll talk about the day after this Andre and Hulk's first match when Andre is actually going to be on TV and Hulk's going to work his first major angle ever hmm. when he attacks Andre arm wrestling contest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be uh, going after that day, the following day, to Pensacola, Florida, and Andre and and the Hulk are going to have their second match together in the Pensacola, Florida, and draw an all-time record crowd in the Municipal Auditorium there. Wow. Wow. Uh, we'll, we'll find out next week uh, what was on that next card for the second week of May 1979, the results and the attendances. And then we're going to return to southeast of Knoxville, uh, in which they had a very good card. Uh, they've got a card that's going to have a cage match. It's going to have a title versus title match. Uh, the great Malenko is going to be facing off against Crusher Blackwell again. And a strong underneath card that's even going to have my brother working in Knoxville. So we're going to, you know, discuss the Southeastern TV show uh, next week, too, the results of the card and the attendances. And hopefully next week, we may have enough time for another learning tree. Hopefully so. Yeah, that's cool. All right, listen, folks, this has been a ton of fun. On Facebook, go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud. Like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch and follow him there too. I see all the time, Ron, where you're always, when when listeners and friends comment, you always take time to come back and try to answer their questions no matter what. I think that's really cool on Facebook and Twitter. You try to reach out every time somebody has a question. Check out the website, T tnstud.com tnstud.com for every studcast ever done 43 super studcast as we were talking about with ronnie garvin that's just one of 43 super studcast the stud store all kinds of souvenirs get your personally autographed copy of ron's brutus brutus the novel that he wrote his youtube channel ron's youtube channel is called southeastern rewind it is red hot 264 hours of videos there now 52 stud stories 29 short rides with the stud four ask the stud question and answer shows it has the last 73 stud cast the last 73 stud cast are all there and every new one goes up the day it is released subscribe now youtube southeastern rewind and be a part of the best old school channel out there youtube southeastern rewind by the way is only the gateway to classic continentalwrestling.com that is the studs tremendous streaming channel there are now more than 250 hours of classic wrestling entertainment old school tv shows from gulf coast southeastern continental and usa all in the order which they were recorded that's the way it was meant to be classic continentalwrestling.com plus 19 chapters of ron's audio version of his best-selling lion novel called brutus six stars of the sport four superstars of the past, and documentaries with something new every day. All of this, all of this, $4.99 per month, or knock it out at one time, $39.99 per year, plus the free one-week trial is still available. Listen, under 40 bucks for every bit of that, and you've got hours and hours and hundreds of hours of classic Continental Wrestling. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It is the best deal 
in wrestling. All right, it's been a very enlightening day today and fun as usual. So how would you close this one out, Stud? Well, I want to give a special welcome, man, to all these new listeners that we're gaining, man. It's true. It's truly amazing. Uh, we're we're growing like crazy, uh, and uh, you know, uh, thank all of you for saddling up with us each week. And uh, and I want to send a heartfelt thanks out there to those that's been riding with us, Dave, for years now, man, for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.